Let me ask this question uh, as we begin our time in the Word of God this morning in John chapter 1. What makes a leader? What, 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 what makes a leader? What is spiritual leadership? Well, standing in the back just as we were worshiping, looking at a number of our young men in our church, thinking that there's a lot of business leaders even here in our church and in our community, and in one way or another, whether you own a business or you're serving in a business or you're leading some kind of people, you are a leader. I think about our campuses that are around here, from our middle schools to our high school, both public and Christian, the absolute need to be a leader on the campus if you're a young man. I mean, the world is desperate for spiritual leadership. So what makes a leader? And then I want to look this morning at the life of the Apostle Peter. But Oswald Sanders, in his classic work on spiritual leadership, asked a number of questions, and I open it with our time this morning. Maybe as you're a businessman, maybe as you're a young man, what is it? What are the traits that you're looking for in a guy that God may use? Well, Sanders, in that classic work, explained a number and asked a number of questions. He said, have you ever broken a bad habit? He said, to lead others, you must master your appetites. He said, do you keep self-control when things go wrong? He said, the leader who loses control under adversity forfeits respect, forfeits influence. A leader must be, Sanders said, calm in crisis and resilience. Do you think independently? A leader must use the best ideal of others to make decisions, but a leader cannot wait for others to make up his or her mind. That man, that particular woman is leading. Can you, young men, handle criticism? I mean, the humble person can learn from petty criticism. Even, Sanders said, malicious criticism. Another question, do you gain the cooperation of others? Can you win the respect of your teammates, of those who you serve at work, those whom you work with in our community? Sanders asked, are you a peacemaker? He said, a leader must be able to reconcile with opponents where arguments have created hostility. Can you accept opposition to your viewpoint or decision without taking offense? Sanders said, leaders always face opposition. He said, can you make and keep friends? Your circle of loyal friends is an index of your leadership potential. He said, do you depend on the praise of others to keep going? Certainly all of us need encouragement, but Sanders said, can you hold steady in the face of disapproval and even temporary loss of confidence? Do you get nervous in the presence of your superior? Are the people who report to you generally at ease. Is your will strong and steady? He said leaders cannot vacillate and cannot drift with the wind. Interesting that Obama, 2008, affirmed the marriage of a man and woman, but evidently from the rainbow on the White House, it's different. He drifted in his position there, did he not? Leaders can't vacillate. They can't drift. Can you forgive? Do you nurse resentments? Do you harbor, Sanders asked, ill feelings toward those who have injured you? Are you, here's a good question, are you optimistic? Sanders said pessimism and leadership do not mix. Do you, young men, have a master passion such as Paul who said, this one thing that I do Such a singleness of motive will focus your energies and powers on the desired objective. And for our time this morning, more than even those questions, what does our Lord say about leadership? Let's look at what he says. Open your Bible to John chapter 1 as we look at this venue of the first disciples. Let me read the text for you, and I'm just going to extrapolate a little bit. this morning on what we began last week. But look at 135. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples who heard him say this, they followed Jesus. 
Jesus turned to them and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. And they came therefore and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, lock in on this, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. There's our text. Zeroing in on those scriptures in 41 and 42, the first time that he had met Peter. Andrew, as you remember last week, was introduced first. Then in 41 and 42, he found his own brother, Simon. So last week, we looked at Andrew the evangelist. This morning and today, Peter the leader. And I thought, if you permit me just for a little bit, I I need to really introduce him, Peter. He plays such a dominant role in John's gospel that I need to introduce him to you to give you a greater insight as we proceed. I don't want to always stop here and look into these things so deeply, but my own heart is just so curious because this is the first time as we look in the other gospels that he ever met the disciples. And the other gospels don't include this section in John 1, so we're on holy ground. It's only in this place that he first met Andrew. It's only in this place that he first met Philip. It's only in this place that he first met Nathaniel, and here he first met Peter. I mean, when you get to Mark's gospel, and he's on the seashore, and he calls him to follow him, I mentioned last week that they had been following him a year to a year and a half. But not here. This is the first meeting. And, of course, you can see in verse 41, it says he found, did uh, 41 of Andrew, that he found first his own brother Simon. And the first thing that we said of Andrew the evangelist is the first thing he did, not other things, but this one thing I do, he went and found Simon. Now, I mentioned a couple weeks ago or last week that Andrew's the evangelist. And every time he's mentioned specifically in the scripture, remember, he's bringing people to Jesus. It's a wonderful tribute to him. He brought Peter to Jesus or here in the text, his brother Simon. Then he's mentioned again where he brought the little boy with the lunch to Jesus and he fed the 5,000. And then the other time, the third time he's mentioned, it was in John chapter 11 and 12 where the Greeks wanted to be introduced to Jesus. And, in, and, and so Andrew brought those Greek Gentiles to Jesus. He's always introducing people to the Messiah. But here, we're talking about Simon. And you can see from the text, he changed his name. So permit me just for a little bit here on this July 4th weekend is to ask this question as I ask every week, but why is this passage here? That, of course, is the point, right? Why is it placed here in the text? And why and how... And for what purpose did Jesus change his name from Simon to Peter? And so John describes the first face-to-face meeting our Lord had with Peter. And it's amazing that our Lord, you read it, saw not just Simon, but the man he would fashion Simon into, he saw him as Peter. And Jesus, as we read, gives him a new name, of what he will become, and he called him Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas is Aramaic. Peter is how we see it in the Greek. It's the same thing. Simon, you will become Peter, or Simon, you will become Cephas. Cephas means Peter, and Peter means, in Greek, I think you know that, the rock. Not the rock, the the actor, okay? But he called him the rock, I'm changing your name from Simon to Peter, and you shall be, from this point on, at the first meeting, the rock, or Peter. 
And I think here, just a theological statement for you, it symbolized a change in character for him. And then in addition to that, he becomes, does he not, the foundational leader of the apostles of the early church. I mean, I don't want to take you into all the detail, and I have to refrain myself all the time so we stay to the task. But, I mean, when you look at Peter's leadership in the book of Acts, it's incredible. I mean, this guy became an outstanding leader. One historian said he was the one who made the move, Peter, to replace Matthias with who? Judas. Peter said, we've got to replace this one, Acts chapter 1. Of course, you well know that Peter was the preacher of boldness on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Peter, along with John in Acts chapter 3, healed the lame man. It was Peter who was the spokesman regarding the death of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. It was Peter in Acts chapter 8 when that man, evidently filled with a demonic spirit, Simon, he's the guy who rebuked him. Now listen, there's 11 other apostles, but this guy's first. So what do you mean first? Well, he's first. There's four different lists in the New Testament, probably what I mean is the Gospels, and in every list, his name is first. It's not alphabetical. He's the leader of leaders. That's who we're talking about. This is the, the, the one among equals, if you will. It's Peter. Simon was getting weird in Acts chapter 8, and Peter rebuked him, okay? Peter's the one who raised in Acts chapter 9, Dorcas from the dead. Peter. He took the gospel to the Gentiles in chapter 10. And so we're addressing this morning Peter, the one who wrote two epistles at the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and he wrote on the lessons that Jesus taught him. And I'm asking you, Right? How do you become that man? You ever think about that? I mean, you have to understand my heart. I love leadership. It's just like a hobby. If I find something on leadership, I read it. I read Christian books on it. I read secular books on it. But the greatest leader in the whole world who ever lived was Jesus Christ. What did he do? And I still think it's Fascinating in the passage that at least in the first meeting, Andrew's the first guy, which touches my heart. But Andrew went and found his brother, Simon. How did our Lord transform Peter from an arrogant, brash, impulsive man into the leader of the apostles? How did he transform him into the leader of the early church? May I suggest for our time this morning... Three key ingredients that the Lord, if you will, was mixing and molding. And I just pray that there's some young men here this morning who can heed this. The world in which we live is desperate for leadership. Some of this is calling, and I'll look at the raw credentials of this. Some of this is what a man becomes, but our world is desperately looking for leadership. I know David said that we enjoy our freedom. Maybe. Maybe. Closing quick, isn't it? Not to be Debbie Downer this morning, right? We do celebrate the 4th of July. But I'll tell you, in my heart, as I saw the fireworks go off, not so sure what we're celebrating anymore. And I'll tell you, our church is going to be tried. You will be tried. You older folks up north of 55, all your grandchildren will be tried. And so we need men. We need leaders. This campus at Kingsburg needs, in this particular day, I could say today, male leadership. Well, what did our Lord do? Well, three ingredients that he used to mold and fashion Peter into a man of God. And as you watch these young men come up in our church, and I want you to know I weekly think about this. Who's the next generation of men? So thankful for our elders. 
so thankful to serve alongside them and they with me, I with them. But I'm wondering who's the next generation. We're one generation from becoming, you know, extinct at this church. Yale started out as a Christian university. Harvard started out as a Christian university. Many Christian universities, did you know? And I'm I'm off the target here a little bit. There's only about six Christian colleges left in the entire nation that believe in a six-day literal creation. Hundreds of universities. But I can count them on two hands how many believe that God created the world in a 24-hour period, six days. Where's the men that are going to step up? Where's the men who are going to take the next generation? Hey, if, if you're here and you're north of 55, I hope you're praying for the church. I hope you're praying for our future. Maybe because I'm getting a little older, I'm thinking, man, who are the next guys? What's God going to do? Well, Peter this morning. I want to look at, our, at Peter regarding his credentials, okay? And all of this is the Lord's fashioning. His crisis and then his character. So his credentials, his crisis, his character, and the Lord's mixing this man to become a leader. First, his credentials. His credentials. You just meet him there, so let me fan this out. Who is Simon? Who is Peter? Who is Simon Peter? Have you ever wondered that? I want to answer that for you today. Do you ever wonder why he has so many names in the New Testament? Sometimes he's Simon. Sometimes he's Peter. Sometimes he's Simon Peter. And sometimes he's Simon Simon. But this is not Simon Says. What's his credentials? Well, first, just a few, I don't know, facts for free. You know that he was a fisherman, okay? He was from the city in Bethsaida in 144. How do you know he's from Bethsaida? Well, look at 44. It said, Philip was from Bethsaida, comma, the city of Andrew and Peter. Okay, we can put that together. He's from Bethsaida. Bethsaida. Later, he lived in Capernaum. Okay, we know that from Mark 21. We stood there in January. In fact, they have a place in Capernaum that they believe was Peter's mother-in-law's house. And if you want to go back, I'm in my mind thinking about 2018 for Israel in January. But we were there in January. We know from Mark's gospel that he owned a house. We know from the teaching of the scripture that Peter, was he single or married? He was married. So how do we know that he was married? Because the Lord, in Mark 1, healed his mother in who? Law. He's married. We also know from the scripture in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, that Peter took his wife on the road, I like to say, on a ministry trip. 1 Corinthians 9, 5. In the Gospels, just for free, okay, He's mentioned most frequently. And as I've already told you, he's always first in the list. Peter, as you know, in the Gospels, is part of the inner circle of the three disciples who were closest to the Lord. Well, you say, Scott, what would you say about his, his credentials? Well, number one, let me just go through these pretty quick. He was a communicator, okay? He was a communicator. When you think of Peter, I think you think of him maybe as you know him from reading. He was a communicator. He spoke. You say, well, Scott, well, were all the disciples speaking? Yeah, I suppose. All of them, certainly. But out of all the 12, he was a communicator. Listen, no one made greater pronouncements in all of the Gospels other than Jesus Christ than Peter. Do you remember when Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, hey, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And remember, the disciples said, you are the, what? Christ. Who said that? Peter. He's always making statements. And then in Matthew's gospel, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's Peter who made that statement. 
Do you remember in John chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, Jesus made a very harsh statement. Drink my flesh, and, or eat my flesh, excuse me, and drink my blood. He was not saying literally, he was saying appropriate me. And in John chapter 6, there was a few not walking with him anymore. And so they went away after a massive revival and miracles. The crowds were following him until he said the hard statements. So it says that there were those who were walking with him no more. And Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Do, do you want to leave? And in John six sixty eight. One of the disciples said, Lord, to whom shall we, what, go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed that you, that you have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Who said that? You got it. Peter. He's always speaking. He's a communicator. He's a spokesman. No one made greater pronouncements. And yet you would agree, no one inserted his foot more in his mouth than Peter, right? No one speaks as much and no one is rebuked as much, okay? Do you remember when that time in the Gospels, when the Lord finally got to the point where, it's not, it's a short time when he finally turned the corner after he began to develop his identity with them, that he is God in the flesh, He said to them, I'm going to Jerusalem and I will be delivered up to the cross and they will kill me, right? Imagine if you're the 12. Don't just read it and forget the setting. They're thinking he's going to set the kingdom up. They wanted to set him up right now. This is where you're going to make all the wrongs right. Israel is now going to be coming into the kingdom and then all of a sudden he's talking about his death. And then do you remember Peter, that's kind of funny, took him aside and he began, here's the word, to rebuke him. (laughs) Okay? He rebuked, think about it, he rebuked the Lord. That's what the text says. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, what? Satan. So listen, I'm telling you, the guy's a spokesman. Often he put his foot in his mouth. But he was a communicator, to say the least. Jesus said, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. That's Peter. Peter speaks. Sometimes it gets him in trouble, but he's a communicator. Do you remember the time? Wonderful time. Incredible account. Matthew 17, it's in Mark's gospel, where Jesus was transfigured before them. He peeled back his flesh, if you will, and showed him his pre-incarnate glory, the glory that he had with his father before he took on flesh. And so he was standing there in his pre-incarnate glory, and Moses is there, right? And Elijah is there, and here's something like Peter would say, okay? Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But the text says this, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Put his foot back in his mouth. But listen, the other guys probably wondered the same thing, but Peter spoke. They're terrified, but Peter even speaks when He shouldn't sometimes, and he didn't know what to say, but Peter offers a rather, you know, superficial answer to our Lord. So listen, no one is praised, and no one is blessed as Peter in his statements, yet no one is slammed and rebuked in all of the Scripture as this man. But he was a communicator. Secondly, just a little bit, he was curious. He was curious. And even when I look for young men, I, you look for a man who can articulate, do you not? You look for a man who can speak. You look for a man who can be bold. I'm still back on the first point. So, well, why do you do that? Because Paul told Timothy to train faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
So Peter's rare, but when you look for leadership, you look for a man who can communicate. But secondly, he was curious. He was curious. He said, what do you mean curious? Well, it, it went with communicator, but here's my point. He's always asking questions. Leaders ask questions. Young men who begin to show themselves ask questions. Young leaders are curious. And Peter, you see it. You say like, Scott, how? Well, you don't have to. We won't go there. We'll run out of time. Peter, it was Peter. Peter asked the Lord to explain the parable to him in Matthew chapter 15. He said, well, I guess one of the other guys could have said it, but they didn't. It was Peter. Peter said, he's curious. Hey, Lord, would you explain this parable to me? Peter's the guy who asked the Lord how many times we should forgive someone. Peter said up to three times, and the Lord said up to what? Seventy times. Peter asked a question, though. He's always asking questions. He's curious, is the thought. He wants to know. Now listen, not everybody's Peter. I get that, but I'm on Peter this morning. Okay? Leaders talk. Leaders lead. Leaders are curious. He's the one who asked the Lord in Mark chapter 11. Hey, Lord, it was more of a statement, but it's a question. The trees withered. Why? I mean, there's 12 disciples, but he asked the Lord. I see the tree withered. Peter's the guy at the end of John's gospel, which is why I want to unpack him just a little bit, who asked Jesus about the future of his fellow apostle, John. Do you remember where he said, hey, Lord, what about this guy? Now, it's, you know, he's kind of saying, what's going to happen to him? And John was the only one, you know, who didn't die a martyr's death, but Peter asked him, hey, what about this guy? When Jesus began to talk about the betrayer, it was Peter who asked Jesus about the identity of the betrayer in John chapter 13. Other guys are standing there, but Lord, who is it? Or actually, he leaned over to John and said, who is it? Ask Jesus. That time he he called, but he was asking These are the kind of ingredients that you look. If you're a business owner, you want to know that a guy can work, but you're also looking for the curious guy. When I I look at future men, I I look for men who ask questions. So it's interesting here that that's what he was doing. Peter was the one. Remember when he said, hey, whoever's left houses and brothers and sisters and farms will receive this fold when they come. And they're all silent, but Peter's Peter's the one who said, Hey, Lord, what do we get? (laughs) Question. We've left everything to follow you. Peter asked that question. He's always asking questions. He's always taking the initiative. It's just a little window there. You look for someone who's curious, who's asking questions, who's taking initiative. That's a leader. And Peter's curiosity drove him to ask questions questions that's what he was doing remember that faith principle last week faithful available initiative teachable heart for god he's got initiative in other words what i'm trying to tell you is that there was something in this guy's raw credentials that spoke of leadership and the lord would begin to hone him to shape him into a man of god and we'll talk about that thirdly Not only was he a communicator, not only was he curious, but thirdly, he's confident. Okay, he's confident. Remember when Christ began to tell him about his coming death in Mark 14? I'm going to die. Peter said to him, even though all fall away, I will what? Not. Probably there's another 11 guys just going... (laughs) You know, they're just scared. You know, Jesus going to the cross. Peter's like, hey, they might all fall away, but, but not me. So we can say that he's confident, but you and I well know that he's also cocky. That's not another point. It's just in this one, okay? He's cocky. Remember after the Lord told him that, hey, Peter, 
before this night's out, you're going to deny me, what, three times? And Peter still said emphatically to the Lord, if I must die with you, I will never, what, deny you. He's confident, but he's also, you know, cocky. Now, a little insight into this thing here. When Peter said, I must die with you, even if I, you know, if I must die with you, he said, I will not deny you. And, and I love the little comment in Mark 14. You can read it on your own. After he said that, it says, all the disciples said the same thing too. In other words, Peter, if you said it, yeah, that sounds good. He's the leader. He's confident. He's curious. He's, you know, he's a communicator, but sometimes his confidence got him in trouble. How about this time? You certainly remember when he was walking on the water and they're in the boat just rowing. You know, the waves are coming, the wind, and then they see this figure coming to them and they think he's a what? Is a ghost. They're scared to death. They're just frightened. They're just shivering. These are brawny dudes, right? This is a professional fisherman. On the Sea of Galilee, they've seen storms. But imagine this storm, where at least in one of the Gospels, water's filling into the boat. They think they're going to die. Remember when they said in Mark 4, don't you care that we're going to perish? I mean, they're scared out of their boots. They're just shaking. But then it was the Lord. And you remember, it was not the other disciples. It was Peter who said, Lord, if it is you, what did he say? Bid me to come out with you on the water. And remember, he stepped on the water and Peter himself started to what? Walk on water. You know the account. But he began, after he looked at the surrounding things around him, he began to what? Sink. And he lacked faith. Certainly, but he's confident, wasn't he? Lord, if it's really you, you know, there's 11 other guys still in the boat, you understand? So we can dig Peter and say, man, he just lacked faith and he began to sink. What a loser. I don't know. That was an L. How do you see it like that? That's an L, loser, okay? But I'm just telling you, there's 11 other guys who never got out of the boat. There's this guy, he is confident. So here he was, a communicator, curious, confident, fourth. Finally, these are his credentials. There's more, but he's courageous. He's courageous. This is the raw stuff in this guy. This is the DNA in this guy. You say, is God sovereign in that DNA? Absolutely. Listen, I don't know how the Lord always puts people together. Andrew can barely speak. We don't see him speaking. But he's always bringing people to Jesus. Praise God. This guy this guy spoke, and he's courageous. You say, well, like where, Scott? Well, you guys know the story. In Matthew 18, they had all fled when the Lord was arrested in the garden. But it's likely that after they all fled, John and Peter were there, and they're in that area where his trial was taking place. And you remember, certainly, that's where in that context he denied the Lord three times. But I'm telling you, he's there. There's, there's 10 other guys not there. Judas is gone by this time. There's nine other guys not even there. But he's there. He's there in the courtyard to the point in one of the most piercing passages in the gospel where it's after the cock crowed. I think it's Luke 22. It says that Jesus looked into the courtyard and he met eyes with Peter. Now he blew it royally. But I'm telling you, there was courage in this guy. There's some moxie in this guy. So, so listen, he's courageous, but he's also, let me say this in the same point. You know this. He's foolish all at the same time. You say, how, why is he foolish? Well, while he's in the midst of being courageous, being in the garden, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, Peter remember in the, in the arrest and the trial, hey, surely, from the text, you're one of those guys. For you're a Galilean too. In other words, that woman began to say, I've seen you. You're following. You're one of the disciples. He's, he's your master and you're a disciple. And Peter said, the text says in Mark 14, he began to curse. <laughs> he began to swear. 
Peter said, I don't know this man. I don't even know who you're talking about. And immediately the text says a rooster crowed. Actually, it says a second time. Because before it crowed the third time, you'll deny me three times. And so there it is. He's courageous, but he's foolish. Do you remember as time, this is a leader though. I'm just saying that to encourage you. But don't think, you know, when you look for a young man, you do look for a guy that has a little bit of courage to him. Oh, maybe the Lord hasn't worked his grace completely in his life, in his maturity, but give me a little courage. Give me a guy like Daniel, who's a teenager, saying we're not going to eat that food and drink that wine. I mean, this guy had courage, but he was also foolish. You say again, how was he foolish? Well, he denied the Lord three times, but you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night in which the Lord was betrayed, the text reveals that, that hundreds, I, I think we think like six Hundred Roman soldiers are on the scene when they arrested Jesus. And do you remember they came to arrest him? Who do you speak? And he said, I am. And they fell down. But then they got back up. And remember, Judas at that point betrayed him with a what? With a kiss. And you know that one of the disciples there pulled out his what? Sword. And went to go cut off whose ear? Malchus is his name. Luke 22. You say, who's that disciple? Who is it? It's Peter. I mean, I'm just telling you, he's got courage. Sometimes he's foolish. And you know, and I've shared that with you, he's not a surgeon. Let me get his ear. He probably just took his sword out, and I think it's more of a, broadsword than a dagger and i think he just swung at malchus's head and malchus probably went well, i don't know off comes his ear who's that peter <laughs> but i'm telling you, there's something in this guy he's courageous i sometimes like to say when you're training young men take this with a grain of salt okay i'd rather train have you ever heard this a wild horse then raise a dead one, <laughs> okay? In other words, the guy might be wild, but at least he's not passive or dead, you understand? Sometimes you're gonna train, you gotta harness this people, but his credentials were part of the raw material that God used to shape the man. He's communicator, he's curious, he's confident, he's courageous, but here's the second main principle. His crisis or crises Begin to, shape, begin to shape them. In other words, the Lord took the credentials and put him in a crisis to show him how much he needed to depend on the Lord. Say, well, like, what kind of crisis did he put him in? Well, again, I'll just tell you a few. Do you remember when they're in the garden in Mark 14 and some of the disciples are, what, sleeping? He's over there, Jesus, sweating great drops of blood for your sin. And the disciples are snoozing. You say, well, how rude to snooze. Well, I don't know if it's rude to snooze. I think they're snoozing, sleeping from sorrow. Sorrow. He's about ready to go be delivered up. And, and their world is crumbling and so... Depression and sorrow sets in and he begins to snooze. And he came and he found a group of the disciples sleeping. But it's interesting. Here's what the Lord said, Peter. Here's what he said to Peter. Except he didn't call him Peter. We'll talk about this in a moment. Hang with me. He said, Simon, are you what? Asleep? Could you not keep watch one hour? Now, there's other guys sleeping. But I'm just telling you in the text, he zeroed out, singled out Peter, but he called him Simon. You say, why? Because he's the leader. He's going to stand up and be bold eventually, but now he's in a crisis, and he's trying to teach Peter, you can't lead in your flesh. You have to depend on me. And so he called him out. Remember when in his attempt to walk on water earlier, 
He began, did Peter, with a bold faith. But the waves frightened him. And Jesus rescued him. And then he also rebuked him. He brought him to a crisis point. And he said to him in particular, you finish the statement. Oh, man of little, what? Faith. Now, you got 11 other guys in the boat. But Peter lacked faith, and the Lord put him in a crisis. Listen, he might have you in a crisis right now. You, you may be, whatever form of a leader, you may say, hey, I'm not the apostle Peter. Well, neither am I. He may have you in a crisis. And he's beginning to mold you by taking the credentials, mixing it with the crisis, so that you begin to depend on God and not your own flesh. Certainly, Grace Church of the Valley. You remember one of the greatest confessions in all of the Scripture. I've said it before earlier. Thou, King James, thou art the Christ. When he said, who am I? And he said, the Son of the living God... He would then suffer one of the greatest rebukes ever given to the disciples in Matthew 16, 23. Get behind me who? Satan, you're a hindrance to me. Now listen, I, I, I know that I just said that, but what, what fascinates me is he just made one of the greatest statements in all the Bible. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in the next moment, Jesus says, you, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance of me. That's Peter. That's sometimes the naivety of a young leader, of a young man. He can say the greatest statement, make the greatest pronouncements, be the boldest there is in a group of people, but then in the next breath, without the Spirit's filling, you're a tool of the evil one. Do you remember? There's the crisis. He's bringing them to these crises, isn't he? No leader is greatly used by God. No man, let me put it this way, no man is greatly used by God whose character isn't forged in the crisis. And that's what he did to Peter. He's mixing this guy to be the proclaimer in the book of Acts. And I think so often a young man wants to have a certain man's faith and leadership ability, but sometimes they're not willing to go under the crisis. Do you remember in our Lord's last days, when Satan, you remember, was demanding to sift one of the disciples? Who was he asking permission to sift, to kind of terrorize? Who was it? Peter. Peter. And the fascinating thing is, in Luke 22, Jesus doesn't call him Peter. He doesn't call him Simon. <laughs> He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like what? Wheat. And say that to the other disciples. They're there. They're leaders. They're all leaders. But he did say, Satan, I mean, think about it. He wants Peter. He wants the man. And he's asked permission to sift them like wheat so that it just blows away, if you will. So here's my question to you. Let me just explain this. He says to him, Simon, why are you asleep in the midst of crisis? Here in Luke 22, he says, Simon, Simon, let me just come back for a second. Here's why we've talked about this. Let me come back to Peter's name. Peter looked at him, excuse me, Jesus looked at him, looked back at 42, and he said to him, so you are Simon, the son of John. Now, some people believe in 142, um, Jesus just prophetically knew that he was Simon, son of John. I, I don't know if that's what the text is saying. Yeah, you, you don't know if Andrew was telling Jesus all night when he went to go be with him at the 10th hour, hey, Jesus, I got this brother. His name is Peter. I want you to meet him. So the next day, he meets Peter, and he says, it could just be just in the text, Simon. Oh, so you're Simon, the son of John. And then look at the text in 142. You shall be called Cephas, which means, what, Peter? He changed his name. So listen, sometimes he's Simon, as you can see his name, son of John. In, in fact, in Matthew's gospel, I don't want to get too technical, he's called Simon Barjona, 
which means Simon, son of John, which means that Peter's dad's name was John. Let me explain his names to you just for a moment. Sometimes he's just Simon. And Simon is just his common name, okay? You have a name, I have a name. It's his common name. And there's seven different Simons in the New Testament. I don't need to tell you who, who those are. You know one of the men, one of the men. Remember the guy who carried the cross of Jesus? His name was Simon of what? Cyrene, right? It's just Simon's his name, okay? Common name. But he's also, here in the text, secondly, Peter, okay? So sometimes he's Simon, sometimes he's Peter. Thirdly, sometimes he's Simon Peter. Now, in the Bible, when it says there, and I think I explained this to you, that you shall be called Cephas, okay, that's just Aramaic. And in the Greek, you can see it there, it's translated, it just means Peter. So Peter, beloved, is kind of a nickname of who Jesus would make Peter. You are Simon, but I'm going to call you Peter, which means stone, okay? And sometimes you remember the changing of of a name demonstrated authority. I can understand that. You get that. Abram was changed to what? Abraham. God Almighty can change a name, can't he? Jacob was changed to what? Israel. Sometimes it symbolizes authority. However, why did Jesus change his name? Listen, let me just say this succinctly. Our Lord gave Peter this name in anticipation of who Peter would become. Okay, I want you to be a rock. You're shifty. You vacillate. Yes, you're courageous, but sometimes you're foolish. Sometimes you're confident, but more often than not, you're cocky. But I'm going to change your name. I want you to be strong. I want you to be stable, is the thought. Okay? So it's an anticipation. Now, even after his name was changed... Simon, let me declare this for you, was always used in two cases, okay? First, it designated Simon or Peter in a secular way. For example, it's all over the New Testament. It's called the house of Simon, Mark 129. It's called Simon's wife's mother, Mark 130. It's called in Luke 5, 3, Simon's boats, Simon's fishing partner, Luke 5.10, Simon's house, Luke 4.38. In other words, it's a secular identification when he's not talking spiritually. He's just Simon. Here's his identity. Here's his, his occupation, his identification, but it's a secular identification. Secondly, Simon, understand this, was used by our Lord when he was being reprimanded for sin, when he began to function, if just for the sake of a term, in the old man, and the Lord was focusing on his sinfulness, if you will, he called him Simon. I like how MacArthur said it. He said, by nature, Simon tended to vacillate. So the Lord changed his name to try to force Peter into thinking what he wanted him to be. He changed his name from Simon to Peter, or Cephas, Aramaic, which means stone. And at first, it must have been a contradiction calling unstable Simon stone. But I'm sure that every time Jesus called him by that name, he thought, I must be solid, Peter. I must be firm. I must be a stone. And I believe MacArthur said that the Lord gave him this name to force his thinking down a certain path. Can I give you an illustration? Now, don't get upset at me, especially Tommy Barrington out there. It's an illustration from Tommy Lasorda and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Is this okay? Okay. It's not the Giants. It's the Dodgers. I grew up in Los Angeles, and he was the former manager of the Dodgers many years ago. Lasorda tells the story of this young, skinny pitcher who was brand new in the Dodgers minor league system. And the youngster was very, very timid, but he had an extraordinarily powerful and accurate arm. And Lasorda was convinced that this young pitcher had the potential to be one of the greatest pitchers ever. But Lasorda says the young man needed to be more fierce. He needed to be more competitive. He's just kind of timid. He needed to kind of lose that timidity 
Lasorda would say. So Lasorda gave him a name. He gave him a nickname that was exactly the opposite of his personality. And Lasorda began to call this young pitcher Bulldog. Okay? And over the years, that is exactly what Oral Hershire became. Tenacious on the mound. But he was timid when he came up. So Lasorda began to call him Bulldog. And then he became one of the most tenacious competitors who ever took the mound. And the nickname became a perpetual reminder of what he ought to be. And before long, it shaped his whole attitude and he became the bulldog. So listen, every time the Lord would communicate to Peter, he would designate what he wanted to say to him by the name he used. If he called him Peter Rock, he got one message. If he called him Simon, you get it, he called, it, it gave another message. If he called him Simon Peter, still another message. In other words, you're partly Simon, you're partly Peter, but he needed to become in every situation the, Lord that the, the name that the Lord gave him, and he gave him the name Rock. Rock. And so he began to fashion this man and put him into crisis. And, and whenever he responded in the flesh, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded you. I, I think it was when Peter's listening to that, he's always calling me Simon, Simon. I, I need to depend on the Lord and become a rock and stable here. You know, it's, it, remember when he came back and I mentioned, Simon, why are you uh, asleep? He's reminding him, hey, you're acting in your old man, okay? He wanted to be the rock, but often he wasn't. So he's Simon in his sinful and secular identification, and he's Peter in his spiritual identification. The thing that's funny for me is 17 different times in John's gospel, John the apostle, John his fellow leader, his fellow elder, called him Simon slash what? Peter, because I think John's saying you never know what you're going to get with Peter. Sometimes he's Simon, sometimes he's Peter, but I'm just going to call him 17 times Simon Peter. So listen, you say, what's the Lord doing? He takes the credentials. He begins to mix this man in the midst of his crisis situations. And thirdly and finally, we're all done. He begins to form a character in him. You say, what kind of character? Well, he begins to move into Peter submission. Here's what Peter said at the end of his life. Is it up on the screen? Peter, I don't know if that one comes up when it says, Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority. He says, Servants, be submissive to your masters. All I know at the end of his life, Peter became a model of submission. Leaders have to learn submission. Young men have to learn submission. If young men can't learn submission, then they could never be a leader. So a leader is a follower, but then he's a leader, and Peter would then say, instead of me taking out my sword and cutting his ear off, he was talking about submission. Secondly, he becomes a model of suffering. First Peter chapter 4, when he says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer. He says, you must suffer according to the will of God. And he becomes in his character, not only a model of submission, but secondly, a model of suffering. I love that. You know that Peter, you know this. He counted himself unworthy at the end of his life to die like Jesus. This is not in the New Testament. It's in church history. So he was crucified what? Upside down. Don't crucify me like Jesus because he's God. You can crucify me upside down. And so he learned submission. He learned suffering. And thirdly and finally, he learned how to be a servant. He learned how to serve. And so he told young men in 1 Peter 5, you younger men, be subject to your elders. Always the greatest danger in training a young man is self-will. Peter learned to be a servant, and he said to clothe yourself in humility. So God takes a man's credentials, he puts him through a crisis, and then he begins to forge an anvil, on the anvil, character, if you will, that this particular man, whoever it might be, might be a mighty influence of God. Now, you say, but Scott, I'm not a Peter. I'm not a spokesman. Well, 
That may be true. Praise God. You may be an Andrew. But if you're not a Peter, then maybe you can be an Andrew and bring people to Jesus. So listen, will you invite someone this week to Summerfest? I'm not being general. I want you to invite someone this week to Summerfest. We've been having a wonderful time. Just outstanding. I talked to a mom last week who said, man, my kids count the day, days down to Kids Fest. Four days. No, it's not today. It's three days. Listen, we want you to come. And it's been packed, but some of you aren't there. And I want to encourage you to come. And I want, you to, I want to encourage you this week, bring someone with you. You know, if, you, if you've been there, I don't even know the people that are coming. And the last two weeks, I've, I've uh, met people who have never been to our church before. And listen, you may not be Peter, you may be an Andrew, but listen, moms, moms, your influence is humongous in this church. You have so many relationships in your neighborhood, in your family, at the ball field. If you're not Peter and a spokesman, whether you're a man or woman, you may be an Andrew, but listen, I just want to encourage you, open your mouth and invite someone. You may be a grandma. You think, oh, I'm not Peter. I'm going to pray for these young men. Okay, praise the Lord. Would you be Andrew? Would you bring someone this week to hear? Got one of the best communicators in the whole state coming. You say, really? Yeah. Kent Dresdo. One of the best communicators in all the state of California. Talking about his righteous life. So listen, I want you to be a change agent. If you're not Peter, maybe you'd be Andrew. You grandpas, the same way, introduce somebody to Christ. I'm standing out in my driveway this week. I'm talking to the Verizon man. <laughs> how, do you get, how do you get wireless out here if you live on a farm? So he's really good at what he does. But I'm, I'm the whole time, Lord, you give me an opportunity to share with this guy. I hope you're praying for that. So he's telling me about his work, and he's telling me he goes from here all the way to the central coast. He tells me he's going to Disneyland, and he's taking his kids. And Lewis, do you have any background in the things of the Lord? And I broke the ice with him. It's not a pat on my back, but I'm trying to open my mouth and be an Andrew at that point, okay? You pray for my wife. She's on her way back coming through Europe, and she's meeting that dear family that I met at the airport in Israel. Remember I told you we're standing in the Albanian airport, and this Italian couple is standing there right next to us waiting for the plane, and we struck up a conversation with him. You say, Scott, could you speak Italian? No. But my son, who's off on his way to medical school in August in St. Louis, speaks English, yes, speaks Spanish fluently, and he also speaks Portuguese. So I think this guy, Lamberto, can understand Portuguese, you know, through his Italian. There's some similarity there. And we start talking to him about the gospel. And my wife, even though she can't speak the language, can just look in people's eyes and make people cry. And she has that unique, uncanny ability to say, how are you? And then Mariana begins to tell us that Lamberto has terminal cancer. And right there in the airport, this couple is weeping. And we come around him as a family. My kids are watching this. And we pray for Lamberto and we pray for Mariana. And I was in their home as I was coming back through Africa in April. And Lucho, our missionaries, just shared. I bring Lucho with me because I can't speak Portuguese or Italian. And Lucho's just giving him the gospel in tenderness. And now Patty's going to be there tonight. Would you pray for her? Listen, I love this flock. I just want to encourage you. I'm meeting people at Summerfest who I don't know because your reach is going out. But listen, if you're a Peter and you're a man, you be Peter, if that's what God's called you to. If you're not Peter, then praise God the way he wired you, then be Andrew. But we're all part of God's team, aren't we? But listen, whatever I want, I want to exhort you a little bit. Don't get comfortable on me. There are people that are going to hell that we're around all the time. 
Two kids, as you know, committed suicide at the end of the spring semester here. At some point, we, we got to open and, and introduce people and bring them and whatever. But, but listen, don't get comfortable. You who are north of 55, don't get comfortable on me. You need to pray for our younger generation and our younger men. And yet at the same time, I'm meeting so many people. So I, I, I meet this guy two weeks ago, and, and we're almost done, okay? I meet this guy two weeks ago. I'm sitting at the table. Better be careful. I'm sitting at the table with him. And I said, how are you? He says, good. I said, have you come before to the church? No. Is this your first time? Yeah, this is my first time. I said, well, how'd you get here? He said, Frank Gustav. There's Frank back there. Frank gave him a flyer at work. I sit down at, the, at a table next you know, Wednesday, and I meet four people who I never know. And somebody in our church through relationships in Kingsburg invited these couples and they don't know the Lord. And, and, and so you're making it work. But listen, I just want to, could you imagine if our whole church was reaching out to people? Can you imagine if you're as weak as I am? Listen, I'm not weak. I mean, I am weak. So I'm standing for, right, Lord, you just give me an opportunity to open your lame mouth. I'm simply, and you just, at some point, you just got to be bold. But listen, you're put in opportunities all the time. You be the man, you be the woman that God made you to be. But all means, be who he's called you. And he was shaping Peter to be a spokesman. Amen?